When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With more babies being born by cesarean section, a new movement is campaigning to make the event a more natural experience. It's known as the Natural Cesarean or Family Centered Cesarean. I'm Dr. Nick Kapitanakis, an OBGYN who believes birth should happen as simply as possible, which is why I provide this excellent alternative to my patients. This is Preggy Pals, Episode 2. Um, is that a plus sign? Pink or blue? Hospital or home birth? What type of food should I be eating? I think I just peed myself. I'm pregnant and I have to exercise. What pregnancy glow? Wait, was that a contraction? (laughs) Gotta make these pants fit. I've got cankles. What do you mean there's more than one? You've got the symptoms and now you've got the support you need for a happy nine months. This is Preggy Pals, your pregnancy, your way. Welcome to Preggy Pals, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. I'm your host, Sunny Galt. Thanks so much for joining us. Preggy Pals is all about our listeners. Visit our website at preggypals.com for more information on how you can become part of our show. You can join our conversation by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+. And you can also send us comments or suggestions through the contact link on our website. Or my favorite, you can call the Preggy Pals hotline at 619-866-476. Okay, I am joined by two other pregnant women here in the studio. I'm pregnant as well. As I said, my name is Sunny. I am 34 years old. I'm a web video host and producer. My due date is, I'm just going to go with April 23rd because I'm having a C-section and that's the date they've scheduled it for. The gender is a little boy. This is my second little boy. I already have a son at home. And uh, yeah, like I said, C-section. I would love for it to be a natural cesarean, but we'll see about that. Go ahead, Amy. Hi, I'm Amy. I'm 35. I'm a stay-at-home mom. My due date is July 1st. Um, the baby's a boy. We have a little girl at home, and we're hoping for uh, vaginal birth. I'm Cherry Christensen. I'm 30 years old, and I work in market research. I'm due with my first baby on the 20th of June, and we're going to wait till then to find out if it's a boy or a girl for the, the grand reveal. And if everything goes according to plan, we're going to have a home birth with my two fabulous midwives. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Before we start today's show, here are some great prenatal fitness tips. Hi, Preggy Pals. I am Lisa Drexman, fitness expert and chief founding mom of Stroller Strides, a fitness program for moms and babies. I'm here to answer some of your most common questions. Today, I'm here to answer how much exercise should I do while pregnant? Seems like so many moms are still thinking that exercise is something they shouldn't be doing when pregnant and maybe they're a little bit scared. But I'm here to tell you, pregnant women should exercise, get this, 
most days of the week. It's the same as the general population. The American College of Sports Medicine states that regular exercise is preferred over intermittent activity for pregnant women. And three times a week is the minimum recommendation. Here's what I want you to get out of this. The most important thing is that you are consistent with your exercise program. It's not good for someone, even if they're not pregnant, to exercise once in a while and then jump into it. It's very taxing on the body. Well, whatever you're feeling, your baby is feeling even more. So the best gift you can give your baby is to exercise and exercise regularly. Dr. James Clapp is someone who I will mention many times on this radio show, and he is one of the foremost researchers on pregnancy and exercise. And he found that beginning exercise early in pregnancy at a frequency of three to five times a week actually enhances the growth of the baby. So I'm here to say, please make sure that you're exercising. And even though you might get tired as the pregnancy goes on and on, it is very, very important that you don't stop. Now you will need to cut back. So what you're able to do in the first trimester, you might not be able to do in the second or the third, but you don't want to exercise trimesters one and two, and then just stop. It's important that you keep yourself active and moving and a well-designed fitness program that's safe for you will be safe for your baby and it will benefit you come that day of delivery and be good for both you and for the baby. Visit strollerstrides.com for more great information on how to stay fit through your pregnancy and through parenthood. And be sure to listen to Preggy Pals for more great prenatal fitness tips. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Today on Preggy Pals, we're exploring an alternative to having a traditional C-section. And you may not have heard of this before. It's called the natural cesarean. And joining us here in the studio is Dr. Nick Kapitanakis, an OBGYN who has firsthand experience performing natural cesareans for his patients. Dr. Kapitanakis, I'm just going to call you Dr. Cap. I know a lot of your patients do. It totally fits your personality. Welcome to the show, and thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So I have to tell you, I'm really interested in today's topic because with my son, I had a vaginal birth, but I had some complications afterwards. I had severe urinary incontinence, and I had multiple surgeries to try to repair that. Um, My urogynecologist recommended right after having my son, that all future babies be cesarean babies. Literally broke my heart. I had such a good experience delivering my son. Of course, at the time, I didn't realize there were a lot of problems. But it was such a a joyous experience for someone to tell me that I had to have a cesarean from here on out. It was really devastating because I don't know how many kids we're going to have, you know. And I'm thinking, you know, I would love to have all my kids, you know, birth the same way I had my son birthed. Um, So I'm in this position where I have to have a cesarean. And I hear about this method called the natural cesarean. And it really appeals to me because I feel like it combines more of what I got with my vaginal birth. The natural cesarean, there was a video produced uh, last year, I believe it was out of England, Mm -hmm. um, which kind of shows a different way that we can do uh, a cesarean birth. I kind of like to call it an abdominal delivery versus a vaginal delivery. Um, 
and 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 changing the name a little bit kind of changes what negative connotations may have been attached with it. Um, I will just describe kind of how I do a cesarean section. Um, And again, everything is with mom and baby's best interest in mind. So time allowing, um, if everybody's doing well, then then certain things can be done differently so that mom can feel that she connects better uh, with the delivery process. So one, I always walk with my patients into the operating room and spend the time holding their hands or discussing whatever they want to talk about as they're getting their spinal anesthetic. The OR suites are kind of cold. Mm-hmm. They are bright, but you definitely want me to see what I'm doing. So that's kind of important. <laughs> right. Not a good time for dim lighting. Not a good time for dim <laughs> okay. lighting. Candles. Candles. <laughs> if, if patients want to bring in music, I, you know, applaud them. Bring in some music. The anesthesiologist usually doesn't, doesn't mind, and you can bring in some music to kind of make the mood a little bit different so that you feel a little bit more comfortable. Uh, you know, you, you're going to meet your anesthesiologist before you go in, so you should feel comfortable with him or her. Once you go in, the spinal takes 10 minutes to be placed, and then, you know, you're laid down on the bed, you're cleaned, a Foley catheter is placed, uh, all the while I'm in the OR, and, and so at least you know some friendly faces. We like to keep our ORs quiet. The same way our birthing suites are quiet, I want my OR to be quiet. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to talk and listen to the, all the key members in case there's uh, you know things that I need to hear. Once you're sterile, we do put up the blue drape. The blue drape comes a little bit above your, your belly, below your breast. And once we know you're numb, then we can bring in your husband or your partner. Uh, they will sit at the, at the head of the bed. Usually at this point, you know, the procedure's begun. In a few minutes, you hear a baby crying, and then you may get a quick glimpse, and, and then baby's, uh, you know, either brought to the warmer or, um, you know, taken someplace where you may not have that connection. So the, the procedure then begins, and one thing I shouldn't, uh, should mention, the anesthesiologist has to place some leads on the mom's chest to kind of monitor the heart rate or mom's heart rate and make sure everything is fine from, from that standpoint. Those leads can be placed somewhat on the back so that mom's chest can be available to receive baby after delivery. Mm-hmm. So that's one way the anesthesiologist can help out. Once we begin and then we make the incision on the uterus, I always let mom know that we're really close. Dad can stand up and, and take pictures. At this point, I've usually had a discussion with the anesthesiologist, and if, if he or she feels comfortable, we can drop the drape so that mom can actually watch the birth of her child. So if you think about the view, it's the same view that mom would be seeing if you were in a vaginal delivery. Sometimes the anesthesiologist can raise the table a little bit so that mom can look over her belly and see the birth of her baby and kind of be the first uh, you know, sight that the baby sees is mom looking back at him or her. Then you can just slowly let the uterus contract out the baby and, and, and give it a little bit of time to extrude any fluid that the baby might have in, in, in his or her lungs, which will help with breathing afterwards. Once baby's out, mom can you know see the gender. And then usually we kind of put the drape back up because then things are a little bit more clinical again. Um, you can wait, uh, you know, a few moments if you wanted to, to, to let the cord kind of pulsate. And, and, and now, um, you know, people are, are feeling that waiting for delayed cord clamping has some benefits. So you can wait a little bit. This is where I differ a little bit from the video because you also have an open abdominal wound. So you don't want to wait too long because mom, you know, can be bleeding somewhat. Um, then baby's handed off to the waiting NICU nurses. They quickly assess baby as long as baby's pink, crying. 
dad comes over, can trim the cord right there in the operating room, and then baby can go back to mom and dad as quickly as possible. I've had patients breastfeeding in the OR. You can put baby on mom's chest. I personally don't need anything above, you know, the belly. If the anesthesiologist feels everything is going well and feels comfortable, the baby can be placed skin to skin right on mom's chest. And again, I've had patients breastfeeding in the OR. Now, all of this is done assuming that everybody's doing fine. That's the biggest thing. And then after, you know, the case is finished, dad is always with the baby. Dad leaves a few minutes before because we have to transfer mom over to, you know, a different kind of gurney to, to get her out of the operating room. But somebody's always with baby. A family member's always with the baby. And then mom is quickly reunited back in the recovery room. So, you know, mom is with the baby the whole time. Do a lot of women opt to do it this way as opposed to the typical way of having a C-section? Um, you know, some moms don't want to see necessarily the birth happening. Um, you know, it is an operation, so there is, I'm going to say, some blood, you mm -hmm. know, to be seen. And some moms don't necessarily want that. But as far as having the baby come as quickly back so that she can hold the baby, um, that's another thing I should mention. Some anesthesiologists uh, feel more comfortable with mom's arms kind of being strapped down a little bit. And that's really for, you know, sterile reasons because you don't want necessarily mom reaching into the operating field because you kind of get a little bit disconnected and your hands can go into the sterile environment. So it's very important to have control of those hands, but you don't necessarily need them strapped down. You can just remind mom and, and, and that her hands need to be, you know, on her chest and so that she can hold her baby and, and feel his or hers breath and, and, and warmth and, and touch. So, Is this an option that's available to all moms out there or does it have to be a cesarean section that's planned? Like what, what if this is an emergency yeah. C-section? Can you still do a natural cesarean? You can. It just depends on the emergency. If it if it's mom's been in labor for an extremely long time, baby's doing well, but you know labor has you know stopped progressing. Um, those are still considered urgent C sections because you don't necessarily want to wait a long time. Right. So you still can do that as long as mom and baby are, are are doing well. And I'm curious why you decided that you wanted to offer this to your patients. What was it about the procedure? Why was it so important to you? You know, when when we have a vaginal delivery, it's done a certain way. Usually, my uh, my vaginal deliveries, the lights are dim. If you know, mom and dad want music on, that's fine. Um, you know, the bed isn't necessarily broken down all the way. I don't put on a blue gown. It's not a sterile procedure. Anybody who's had a va uh, a baby can, you know. Um, tell you that it's not very sterile. Um, and I put on a pair of gloves and then we just have baby delivered and then received immediately on mom's abdomen. Mom is able to, you know, bond with baby immediately. We wait for the cord to stop pulsating and, and then baby is on mom the whole time. So how can we take that experience of, you know, low stress, easygoing and move that into uh, uh, an operating room where mom can still feel that connection um, was something that was important to me. Again, you know, I deliver in a place that allows me to do this. Mm -hmm. I deliver in a place where the nurses are comfortable with this. Um, and I deliver with it in a place where the anesthesiologists are comfortable with it. It's not that we're breaking any rules. Everything is sterile. Everything is by the books. It's just a different attitude towards the procedure. You know, once you go in there, it's still about mom. It's not about just doing something and then walking out. You know, it's it should all be focused on mom and mom's experience and 
and that's how that kind of translated to that. But, you know, at Scripps Encinitas, the nurses, um, again, the anesthesiologists are amazing, and they allow us to do it this way if mom wants it that way. Right. Right. So are there other doctors in in your hospital who are doing the same type of cesarean as well? I guess I can't say what everybody's doing. I think we all try to make it, uh, you know, a special event as far as uh, as being with our patients, as far as getting baby back to mom, as, as, as far as getting baby back on mom's chest as quickly as possible. I don't know how many are necessarily dropping the drape and want in having their patients, uh, you know, see the birth uh, of the child. But there are plenty of uh, uh, of OBs that do, you know, the majority of that procedure. But of course, not all medical providers are willing to perform natural cesareans. We'll learn more about why this procedure is considered a little bit controversial when we come back. All right, welcome back. So with natural cesareans, there is a little bit of controversy with this. I I actually know this firsthand because when I first saw the video, this YouTube video, which we'll put up on our website so you guys can see, take a look at it, I was all excited about this procedure. And the first thing I did was talk to my OB about it. And granted, my OB is part of a much larger establishment, if you will, a medical community. And there are certain rules and there are certain regulations. And I'll be honest, she pretty much just kind of – laughed. She actually had never even heard of a natural cesarean before. So I'm curious, and I was really bummed out because I really wanted to explore this option, and and I've been getting a lot of resistance. So Dr. Kapp, in your opinion, why is there this resistance about it? What hang-ups do the medical community have with this process? First, let me say the way we do, you know, a natural uh, cesarean uh, at my hospital is all about sterility. It's all about safety. It's just tweaking a few things to make sure that mom feels that she has a little bit more control and she's more part of the delivery of her child. Uh, I don't think that's a wild concept. And if we can, you know, do little things to make that uh, a reality, I don't think that's too far-fetched. I can't really explain why some people may have some pushback. I mean, there's always questions about sterility, but again, everything is done sterile. There may be some questions about, you know, having mom's arms, you know, kind of strapped down a little bit and whether or not that'll interfere with the procedure. But again, you can remind mom to keep her hands out of the sterile field. Uh, and the drape does cover wide enough that she would kind of have to reach around it and up to, to get into the sterile environment. It's hard to say. Having practiced the way I practice, I cannot necessarily say what other practitioners are thinking except for that's kind of the way it's been. Um, being able to take baby over to the warmer quickly, assess baby, give baby some APGAR scores, and then get baby back to mom's chest does not interfere with my operation, and it doesn't interfere necessarily with what the anesthesiologist is is, is trying to make sure that mom's doing okay. So I don't see where the necessarily pushback would be on that aspect of it either. I think the biggest hang-up my OB had was when I said the blue curtain is dropped. And then baby comes to mom's chest. I I think at that point she was like, you're breaking the sterile environment. You cannot break the sterile environment. Um, I I guess what what would be your response to something like that? Or how do you guys ensure that you're not breaking the sterile environment? Sure. You can drop the the sterile drape from, from the front end just enough so that mom can see. You know, the anesthesiologist grabs it from the non-sterile side 
and he or she, you know, drops the drape just enough so that mom can look over, see the birth of her child. And again, we wait till the head is delivered and then mom can then watch the rest of the body, you know, kind of um, being delivered uh, so that she's not necessarily seeing anything. She's not seeing her insides. She's really just seeing from the top of her belly down. Once baby's delivered, the drape can be raised by the anesthesiologist again and it's still completely sterile. Okay. From from that standpoint, as long as nothing goes over the drape, as not as long as nothing touches, sterility is still maintained. Okay, so baby actually kind of goes around the curtain as opposed to over the curtain. Right. Okay. But again, baby still goes to the warmer, so that's a little bit different from the video where baby comes kind of over the drape and onto mom. So our f- initial assessments are still done in the warmer. And what is the reason for that? Why do you feel that the baby needs to go to the warmer first before going to mom's chest? It's a little bit easier uh, to make sure that baby's doing well. And and if you think about mom's chest, she has a monitor there. The anesthesiologist is sitting at at, at the head of the table along with her significant other. So space is a little bit limited. Um, and so you really want to just take baby over to the warmer to s- make sure baby's breathing again. Sometimes in cesareans, the f- all the fluid isn't um, uh, extruded out of baby's lungs. And so respiratory issues are a little bit uh, more common than in a vaginal delivery. And you just want to make sure baby's doing better and you assess baby under good lighting before transferring baby over to mom so that, you know, when you give baby to mom, uh, you know that baby's doing fine. And when the baby is brought to the mom's chest, this this was another issue my OB had. Obviously, you know, when you are operating on someone, there's a lot of sharp utensils, you know, in the area. And I know we talked a little bit about, you know, do mom's arms need to be tied down and stuff like that. But in a moment like that, you know, sometimes we forget. We're, we're you know, we're just concentrated on our baby. We may, you know, kind of do things we're not really supposed to do. So how how do you ensure that mom isn't injured or anything by all these utensils and stuff that are going around? You know, most of the instruments are still much farther down on mom's belly. Uh, mm-hmm. Any sharp instruments are not on the field for uh, any significant amount of time. You use the instrument and then it's taking off the field and put on a stand. Uh, again, uh, mom's arms are going to be a- underneath the drape, but, uh, you know, higher up than any area that she would be able to get you know, harmed by any instruments. Because at that point, we're working a little bit lower down. Okay. It sounds like it's it's really dependent on the practice and things like that. But if you had any advice on someone who, you know, wasn't planning on going to a hospital, I'm planning a home birth. So if I do end up in a hospital, it's because I absolutely have to be there or, or it's an emergency situation where a C-section is called for. So I'm going to be meeting those people pretty much for the first time. <laughs> and I don't know what they're, how receptive they would be to something like this. So, um, you know, are there certain things that you think might be easier to ask for versus asking for all of these things? things perhaps, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be, you know, all or nothing, but I don't know if there's certain things that you think might might be good for me to ask for if, in lieu of asking for everything. Sure. I think, uh, you know, probably one of the most important things is, is, is just trying to get baby as quickly to you as possible and having that skin to skin. You know, dropping the drape, watching your, your, your child being born is an amazing thing, but 
maybe not something you want to go to bat with with the OB who's, you know, on call that night who's going to be delivering if, you know, you have to go to the hospital. But, you know, asking the nurses and just telling them, hey, I want, you know, I want my child to be brought to me as quickly as possible after, you know, he has been or she's been assessed and everything is fine, bringing them to me, let my husband hold them or my partner hold them and uh, let me get some skin to skin, I think is a reasonable request. Uh, also in recovery, just having baby recover with you in in the room, if possible, is is also um, something that allows you to bond. I mean, you can go back, you can recover along with baby on your chest the whole time, you know, and 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 that I don't believe is an unreasonable request. How long is recovery? Uh, it's usually about two hours. Okay. Yeah, usually about in those two hours. Um, you know, guests are kind of minimized. You want to just make sure mom's blood pressure is doing fine, that her bleeding is doing okay, that baby is transitioning okay. Okay. And I know we've mentioned this video several times, but are there other resources you would recommend for people that want to learn more about the natural cesarean? I think the best thing to do is just have a conversation with your OB and, and, and talk to him or her and say, you know, if, if I need to have a C-section or I'm having a planned C-section, what are some of the things that we can do to make this more experience about um, me and, and, and bonding? Not to diverge or whatever, but I had a patient who came to me who had um, a C-section with her first because of breach. And her second, she wanted to have a vaginal delivery. 37 weeks, baby was breech. We were able to do uh, a, a version and get baby head down. And then we waited and waited and waited for labor. And at 42 weeks, she still hadn't had the baby. Wow. And she wasn't in labor. And she did everything humanly possible. And we had to have, you know, a repeat cesarean because I think uh, for me that was the safest way. And she had had such bad feelings about her first C-section um, that I talked to her about, you know, a natural cesarean. And she agreed, and after the procedure, watching her daughter being born, she cried and cried and cried. She's like, I feel like I'm healed. I feel like I delivered a baby. I feel like I was completely part of the process, and I wasn't so um, disconnected. And to this day, I I just think about that one patient who actually feels that she's whole again, and, and she's actually delivered a baby. And she feels like if you talk to her that it was a vaginal delivery from all for all intents and purposes. That's kind of how she uh, envisioned it, and uh, it's just something that that will stick with me forever. I love that. I'm like tearing up as you're I saying was just that. Say, you're gonna make me cry. Yeah, I'm too hormonal for this. Because that's what I want. I, I want to have an experience that's as close to the vaginal birth that I had with my son. Yeah. And um, that's well, exactly what I want. It's possible. It is possible. It's definitely possible. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Kapitanakis, for joining us today. It's been great chatting with you. The information has been fantastic. If you want to learn more about Dr. Cap and his practice, simply visit the episodes page on our website and look for today's topic. Before we wrap today's show, here are some baby registry secrets. Hi, Preggy Pulse. My name is Hebian, sales associate at Agana Baby. Here to discuss some tips you want to consider when creating the perfect baby registry. The first tip is start early. This gives us a store enough time to help you prepare your registry. An early start means that we will be able to get the word out about your registry as well as give everyone time to review it and purchase the items you have requested. 
If you have registries at multiple locations, you will also be able to give everyone time to actually visit each of the locations and give them a wider range of items to pick from. It will also allow us to introduce you to different products as well as inform you about the latest trends and styles you may not be aware of. We would be able to tour the store with you and give you details about all of the products that catch your eye. You will be able to ask questions and get useful tips about all of these items so you are well educated about each product and can make confident decisions about whether or not to include the item. Starting early will also give you the opportunity to make any changes if you feel they are necessary after finding out more about the product. This is especially useful if you're a new mother because you will be able to use new information that you just gather from other moms, classes, and even your own research. For more tips on creating the perfect baby registry as well as what to include in the registry, visit aganababy.com or follow us on Facebook and Twitter at aganababy. And be sure to listen to Peggy Pauls for more great registry tips in the future. And that's it for today's episode. If you have a pregnancy topic you'd like to suggest, we would love to hear it. Visit our website, preggypals.com. Send us an email through the contact link. And if you have any questions about today's show or the topics we discussed, you can call our Preggy Pals hotline at 619-866-4775, and we'll answer your question on an upcoming episode. Coming up next week, we're revealing the truth about gestational diabetes. What is it, and how does it impact you and your baby during pregnancy, and what kind of effect can it have on labor and delivery? Thanks for listening to Preggy Pals, your pregnancy, your way. This has been a new mommy media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of new mommy media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care, and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.